Good morning. My name's Tim. It's great to be with you. Uh, sorry, you've got a visiting preacher, but I'll try to do my best. Today we gather to remember, to reflect on that event that happened about 2,000 years ago, the cruel crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. The only truly good person who's ever lived, tragically murdered in a conspiracy. The Jewish leaders, the Roman authorities conspiring together to do away with him. In one sense, it's the most evil event in the history of humanity the most deep suffering our world has ever seen. But it does reflect the world that we live in. We live in a world of deep evil and tragic suffering. We watch the news each day and see what's happening in Ukraine. And I I, I presume, like me, you're, you're pulling your hair out and your heart is heavy at such suffering that is imposed on people by other people. Recently, one of the soccer players in Perth Uh, got out of hospital finally after a one-punch debilitating event where somebody for no reason at all just punched him and left him in hospital uh, permanently disfigured by the experience. And I guess most of us have been touched by evil in one way or another, in our family, in our work, uh, in our community. Things have happened to us that are truly evil. They cause the sort of suffering that we wish had never happened. How do we make sense of this in our world? How do we understand the sort of suffering and evil that happened to Jesus? How do we live with it when it's ours, when we suffer it, when the scars are deep? And one way to to live with it is to say, well, there is no God. This is just a cruel, cold world. It's just a world in which dog eat dog and, and we've got to live with that. And in a sense, we say to ourselves or other people say to us, stop being outraged by what happens. Stop feeling sorry for those who suffer. It's just the blind forces of chance. It's just the cold, indifferent universe. That's the world we live in. But I must say personally, I don't buy that. When my my heart cries out, this shouldn't happen, it shouldn't happen. Evil is evil, not just evil a chance event, which means there, there is a God, and I believe there is, and I presume many of us do as well. But that still leaves a different question. If there is a God, a good God, what's his role in the stuff that happens? What's his role in the evil in Ukraine? What's his role in the things that happen to me? I guess if we are convinced that God is good, the most obvious conclusion to draw is that God must have nothing to do with that evil. It's just humans doing their thing. It's just Satan or or evil spirits causing it. As if God is sort of hands off. He's sitting on the sidelines. He'd love to stop it, but he won't or he can't. And so he's just like I am, sitting on the sidelines, wringing his hands, saying, I wish I could do something about it. Impotent and useless. Sure, when good, nice things happen, we can see God's fingerprints all over that, but when evil and suffering happens, it, it, it can't be God. How should we understand it? Well, the story of Joseph is one of the most helpful stories in the Old Testament 
to start to get our hearts and, and heads around how evil actions and tragic results might uh, coexist with a good God. If you've been here, I, I haven't, but I've read the story, so I presume it's the same story that you've been hearing that, that I've read. Um, we see God's chosen family behaving not like God's chosen family. Joseph is the spoilt little brother in this family of, of Jacob, and he keeps rubbing his older brothers up the wrong way. Seems like he almost does it deliberately. He has some, some dreams, and he goes and tells them almost as if he thinks they'll be impressed, but they're not. And they decide to teach this little pipsqueak a lesson. They conspire to murder him. They have their chance. They throw him in the pit. They're about to murder him. And then this caravan, not one pulled by a, a, a land cruiser, but uh, camels go past and they see their opportunity. They can be rid of their little brother and make some money at the same time. So they sell him into slavery. Joseph is taken down to uh, Egypt against his will. It's not where he wants to go. Gets sold as a slave into the house of Potiphar. And things go well for a while uh, in terms of being a slave until Potiphar's wife takes a shine to Joseph. She tries to seduce him. Joseph resists. She takes revenge, has him thrown in prison for rape. He languishes in prison year after year after year. Till a couple of his prison colleagues have some strange dreams and he's able, with the help of God, to interpret the dreams and his interpretations come true. One says, one dream is about being restored, the other about being killed. They both happen. And I guess Joseph might have thought, now there's hope. Remember me to, to Pharaoh, maybe I'll get out of here. But he's forgotten, languishes again year after year, till Pharaoh has a dream that disturbs him and he can't work it out. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, there's a guy in prison. He interpreted my dream accurately. Joseph is hauled out before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, well, what should I do? And Joseph just sort of, I guess, almost instinctively says, well, you better find somebody who can make all this work, who can manage it well. And Joseph looks around and says, well, you seem to be the guy. And suddenly he goes from prison to being the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, which is really in all of the world. And then his family suffers in the famine that does come, as the dream predicted. His family are about to starve to death. And so the father sends the brothers down to Egypt to try and beg and buy some grain to survive. They don't recognise Joseph, but he recognises them. And in a series of sort of games they play between each other, finally Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and his family is saved. And it's a, it's a happy ending. And we only like stories with happy endings, don't we? Uh, we don't watch movies if the ending is terrible, if it just ends in disaster. This one has a happy ending. Through Joseph, the family of God, the family in whom the promises of God for the world hang, that family is saved. It's that sort of wonderful, happy ending. But it raises the question, what's really going on in those dark parts, in the hatred of the brothers and the conspiracy to sell him? In the fratricide, 
that, that sort of reminds us of Cain and Abel and what happened right back in the beginning of human history. How did that come to have a happy ending? Was it just luck, unguided good fortune? In one sense, it looks a bit like that because Joseph clearly doesn't engineer any of this. He doesn't sort of play the game and say, here's my career path, I'll go here and I'll go into prison. and I... It just happens to him. No, it's clear that God's hand is in there somehow. God is involved in this. So maybe you think, well, God is like the, the guy in the supermarket that has the mop you know, and runs around and every time there's a bit of a mess, he can mop it up and keep everything shiny. Is that how God does it? The brothers mess it up, they create a bit of a spill and God comes along afterwards and he pulls off a few amazing big saves. But when we get to chapter 50, which is really the, the sort of the climax of the story of Joseph, we're given some very clear clues about how to read the story, everything that has happened. In hindsight, everything becomes clear for Joseph. And the, the, the key verse is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says to his brothers, he, he, Jacob has died, the dad, the brothers now realise that they're in a very vulnerable position because Joseph has all the power and they did the dastardly deed. So they make up a story. They say, before our dad died, he said, treat us kindly, forgive us. And how does Joseph respond? He says, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? That is, am I really in control here? No. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people, to save a people as he is doing today. Notice he sees two sides to things. His brothers have done evil. This stunning moment of clarity. His brothers, he says, you were culpable. You intended it for evil. Literally, you purposed evil. He doesn't cover it over. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't really know what you're doing. Yes, they did. What they did was evil. But he doesn't see God sort of on the sidelines, hands off, wringing his hands, saying, I I wish I could have stopped it. No, they were culpable, but at the same time, what they did was exactly what God purposed they would do. You purposed it for evil. God purposed it, what you did, that evil action, for good. At one and the same time, God meant it to happen. God planned it to happen. But God's purpose was not evil. God's purpose was good. And when the brothers conspired together saying, come on, let's kill him, that was evil. But they were doing exactly what God purposed that they would do. It's not that God came along afterwards and managed to salvage a little bit of good out of the evil they did. It's not even that God foresaw that they would do that and he sort of worked out his moves in response like a a master chess player who can anticipate what the other player will do and and makes their moves to still win. Now, this is more active than that. It's not either or. Either the brother caused it or God caused it. It's both and. God is sovereign in the evil actions of these human beings. They freely chose to do what God planned that they do. They did it for evil. 
But God did it for good, for the saving, for keeping his covenant promises, promises that in the end resulted in the Lord Jesus himself coming to die that first Easter and rise again. And we see the same dynamic at play in the death of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, come with me to Acts chapter 4, the other reading we've had today, page 888 in the Pew Bibles. The first disciples are being persecuted for proclaiming the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. And what do they do? Do they think this is terrible? This shouldn't happen? It's just evil? No, they recognise in what's happening to them the same thing that was true for Joseph, but especially was true in the death of Jesus. Verse 27, In this city, Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against, they conspired together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined take place. There was a human conspiracy to murder Jesus. And the wording they use shows that they recognised just how evil that was. Jesus was holy. Jesus was God's servant. Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah of God, the very one God had sent to save his people. But they murdered him. They conspired together. It wasn't just one person, a rogue. It was a whole group of people conspiring. You can't get more evil than that. And notice the way the disciples talk about it and pray about it. They recognise that they're culpable. They, they really did what was evil. They're held responsible for their actions. But they did exactly what God had planned that they do. The language in verse 28 is unambiguous. It's not that God foresaw, it's that God predestined it to happen. They did everything that your hand and plan had predestined to take place. It's both and. Human, in their plans, executed for evil. The divine will and plans caused for good. Now, the way this is described, I think, runs counter to our natural thinking. We naturally think either or. Now, if the seats are put out, either Kieran did it or somebody else did it. You can't have two people do it. Well, they might have helped each other, but then it's 50-50, isn't it? And we think if people are responsible, if they make real decisions, they, they voluntarily and freely decide to do something, then God can't have caused it. God must be hands off. He would never violate people's will. But on the other hand, if God is responsible, if it's his purpose and plan, then the people involved must just be puppets. They might not realise it, but they're just being manipulated. They're not really responsible for what they do. But these passages, both Joseph and Jesus, show us that in God's world, it's not like that. It is both and. It's a mystery as to how. How, how could the free actions of people also be the plans and purposes of God? I, I, I'm not quite sure. But that's what God says he's doing. I, I trust he's capable of doing that in a way that I might not understand. That this evil, tragic event that we've reflected reflect on today, the crucifixion of, of Jesus, was perpetrated by people choosing to do evil, culpable for their actions. But at the same time, it's the good 
wonderful event planned and purposed by a good God. How can that be? How can God be fully in control of the free actions of people? Well, I'm not quite sure, but if you reflect on the death of Jesus, it sort of has to be that way, actually. Because if the people who plotted and killed Jesus were just puppets in the hand of God, doing what he'd predestined them to do, but they weren't making their own decisions, then it actually means what they did wasn't evil. They were just puppets. They're not responsible. And if that's true of their actions, I presume it's true of mine as well. We might think we're free agents, but we weren't. We were just manipulated, which means Jesus' death is unnecessary. He doesn't need to die for human evil because there is none. It's just a world in which God controls everything. But if it's not God's plan, if it's just the tragic result of human evil that gets out of control, but God manages to somehow get a little bit of good out of it, if he's hands off, then the death of Jesus is not God's love. It's not his purpose to save me. It's just an accident that maybe helped us in some way, a tragedy that God managed to wrest a little bit of good out. Now, for Jesus' death to be God giving his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, it must be the plan of God. If God is reconciling the world to himself through the death of Jesus, it must be what God has purposed from eternity past. If God is presenting Christ as a sacrifice of atonement for me and for you, it must be that he meant it to happen. God must have planned it. And God must have planned it to happen the way it did. Not Jesus dying of a heart attack at 85, but dying, being executed as a criminal at the hands of evil people. Who killed Jesus? Well, soldiers killed Jesus at the command of Pilate, at the instigation of the Jewish leaders. Yes, sinners killed him. But God killed him in his infinite love for them and for us. The most evil action in all of history brought about the greatest good in all eternity. As we think about the cross of Jesus, this Good Friday, as I presume in some ways through the video or the readings or as we've talked, the songs even, you've imagined Christ being crucified. What do you see? I hope you see two things. You see human evil in the raw. Here's humans face to face with the author of life, with transparent goodness, and we murder him. When I say we, I include myself because I don't think I'm any different to those who plotted to kill him. I too didn't want Jesus in my life. I'd prefer him to be dead than interfering in my life. I would have killed him too if I'd been there. Because we don't like Jesus doing that. We see human evil in the raw, but we also see at the same time God's sovereign deep love for human sinners, for you and me, planned from ages past, chosen before creation, a plan carried through at great cost, incalculable cost for our good. If you're not yet a Christian, 
This is an event in history. Jesus died. There's no doubt about that reality. But I hope you see what this event in history brings into sharp focus. We are genuinely sinful, evil. We do things we shouldn't do, and we're culpable, just like they were. But as well, at the same time, this is God's sovereign plan. He sent Jesus to die for you and for me, wonderfully, in a love that is beyond comprehension. And it's both together. If you only see one, if you only see the human evil without God's plan, this actually means this world is a very scary place to live. Because it means that humans can do all this evil that God desperately doesn't want them to do, but he can't or he won't control it. He he won't stop them. That means as you walk out of here today, the fear hangs over you and over me that something tragic and evil could strike at any time that God can't or won't stop. That's a scary world to live in. It's sort of like the, the, the guy with the mop in the supermarket who's, sure, he can clean up a few messes, but he just lives with this terrible fear that one day some boy is going to walk up and down the condiments aisle and just rip all the shelves down and all the glass jars and bottles and everything will just smash down and he'll, he'll be on control, irredeemable. You'll have to close the supermarket. Well, lives like that are very scary to live in. Joseph looked back at the end of his life and he saw God's hand on his life all the way through. Not just in the redeeming ones when when it came good, but in the most painful and evil events of his life. Now, when he was going through them, when his, his brothers sold him off into slavery, I presume he didn't understand. He couldn't see it then. He would have been saying, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? But afterwards, retrospect, it was crystal clear. And it's this understanding of how God works in his world that lies behind, I think, one of the most famous and wonderful verses in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We know that all things, not just the pleasant things, but the difficult things, the evil things, the things that we wished would never happen, even those things work together for good, like the death of Jesus, like the life of Joseph. That was true for Jesus, and it's true for the followers of Jesus. But how do we know that? (laughs) He assumes that you and I know that that's true. Well, we know it because we understand the death of Jesus rightly. Evil and pain will touch our lives. For most of us, it has touched our lives deeply. We've been victims of other people's evil behaviour. We've been perpetrators that have caused pain for others. But nothing has or will happen that is not the plan of God. Humans are culpable, yes, but it's not out of control. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, that's impossible, Tim. I just can't believe that this thing could be for good. Tim, you don't know what's happened to me. It's beyond tragic. And it's true, I don't know. 
But I do know what happened with Joseph. I do know what happened with Jesus. And they assure me that even if now I can't see how this is God working it for good, in 20 years as I look back, I might see how God was working this for good. And when I sit beside Jesus in the age to come, I will know how he has worked it for good. Amen.